we will uh, begin tonight with sort of a, a little bit of a, it will go away a little bit from regular brachos to brachos atfilah, brachos having to do with, with davening. We're talking, we're just finishing up the section on being motzi, on, on helping others to fulfill their obligation or being yotze, somebody fulfilling their obligation when it's by having someone else say the brachos for them. So if you have a book in front of you, we are on page chapter three, page one hundred and twenty-seven, section five, towards the bottom. Um, let's just talk a bit briefly about this. I, the, what, let's just begin at the beginning of this discussion. I think is to put it in at first, at least to some degree, into historical context. That is, as you know, um, uh, the printing press only came into being uh, in the late fifteenth, early sixteenth century. Um, prior to that, <clears throat> everything was hand copied. So, uh, you, Jews uh, who have been davening, we had a we've had a fixed liturgy since the time of the beginning of the Second Temple era, since the time of uh, coming back from Bavel, the the men of the Great Assembly uh, instituted a rigid. Um, uh, formula for for, for tefillah, including the Shmon Esrei, the 18 brachos that we say, the brachos that we say before the Shema, before and after the Shema, etc. So we, we're going to discuss briefly the, the those brachos and a person's capability to be able to be yotze, to fulfill his obligation when he hears those brachos. So birkos at tefillah, the brachos having to do with davening are in a class of their own with regards to the principles of one person being moti another. We said the underlying principle for being able to be moti another person is arvus. We have responsibility for one another. You have an obligation to do this. The fact that you have an obligation creates an obligation on me to make sure to assist you, to help you, to make sure that you're able to fulfill your obligation. So therefore, uh, you have to, you, I can be moti you. And the mechanism essentially is what we call shamea ka'ona, that when you hear something, it's as though you said it yourself. That's the simple understanding of how a person fulfill, helps another person to fill a bracha. So even though the principle of Shomei Ka'one applies equally to all brachos, Chazal, our rabbis, were unwilling to approve the use of Shomei Ka'one for tefillos. Tefillah is something that's different. When it comes to davening, that's your personal relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's your personal relationship with God. You now are having a conversation with Hashem. I don't know if you've ever told this to you. I remember, I'll never forget, we had a phenomenal first grade teacher, Mara Wolfson, Right, who used to teach us when we start to say the Shmon essay, we would say, We are now, we would stop before we took our three steps back to say, Hashem, Hashem, you should open up my my um, open up my lips, and my mouth should say your praises. Before we would do that, we would all stand there. When the, the ladies, the older ladies on this are going to appreciate this, we would then take our fingers and we would go around like this and we would say, We are now dialing to Hashem, right? You know, and now. This is a. We didn't dial to Hashem like this. We didn't. We didn't have buttons to press. We had a little a dial. You remember when you used to pull it all the way around and you had to let it go back. And, right. So we were now we would dial to Hashem before we started. That's that's. It's my personal conversation with the Rishon. That's what it's meant to be. Nobody else can have that conversation for me. And therefore, Chazal were very reluctant to allow us that possibility of dialing to Hashem. So tefillah is a supplication an appeal for divine mercy and grace. More than that, I would say, going deeper into that without actually getting into that tonight, it's not the subject of tonight's discussion, but it's about creating a bond, a relationship between myself and Hashem, influencing how, where I stand vis-a-vis 
my relationship with Hashem, how much of the, the Shefa, how much of the of the divine flow is coming down directly to me, Tfilah influences all of those things. And as such, it's very important that I be engaged personally in it and not just be a passive uh, participant, so to speak. So a person must petition the Almighty for all his needs personally and not merely by listening to somebody else's supplications. But however, Chazal were aware of the fact that some people had limited abilities, whether it was you had limited education, limited exposure, limited ability to actually know what it was. Remember, we're talking initially there were um, there were there, there were no sidurim. There was there were a few. There were sidurim, but any sitter that you had was a hand copied was a hand copied, and uh, essentially, uh, you know, that would be handed down from generation to generation. You probably had one per family. Just as an interesting aside, I'll tell you uh, anything printed before. I don't want to mess this up because every giver will have my head. I think it's before 1500. Anything printed before 1500 is called incunabula. Incunabula are those things that were set on the original printing press. And um, uh, um, the Jewish incunabula are, are at least are, are very rare. Very, very rare. There's only, there are, there, are, there are a few hundred, maybe a few thousand of them in the world period that exist, not only because not only because uh, um, you know it's been 500 years, because, but because because non-Jewish incunabula are number in the tens of thousands. There was an there was like an explosion of printing. So it wasn't only because people people discriminated against the Jews and made it difficult for them to print, and it was something that was very expensive to do. But my Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Weinberg, that's all used to say, had a theory. He said like this. He said the reason why people needed things printed was because, because they didn't have the printed word. People didn't have, didn't have books. But Jews, even before there was a printing press, were actually people of the book. We, all, we had books already in the house. Every home, every Jewish home had a sitter and a chumash. Had every Jewish home had a sitter, a handwritten manuscript sitter or chumash. So you weren't going to go and pay an unholy, you know, whatever, what fortune it was at the time, to go get yourself, have yourself pr- a printed a printed version of the Siddur or the Chumash. You had your family Chumash that was handed down from generation to generation. You had your family Siddur that was handed down from generation to generation. That being said, the fact of the matter is there are still many, many people that could not read and were not capable of reading, or there was only one or there was very, very limited amounts. So people didn't know, and Chazal were aware that there's certain there's limited abilities, and therefore the halachas of being mozi and tefillah go as follows. When it comes to the Shemona Esrei, the main part of our davni, the silent prayer, we call the Shemona Esrei, means the 18 brachos, as we know it's really 19 brachos, we hit the halachas are as follows. One who's able to recite the tefillah on his own, he already knows the davni, he knows the tefillahs, so then the chazan, meaning the one who is representing everybody public, publicly reciting the prayers out loud for the purposes of helping those who don't know how to say it themselves, um, he cannot be motzi, anyone who is capable of reciting it on his own. If you can say the tefillahs on your own, you can't just sit back and be passive. You have to say the tefillahs yourself. You must, you must do it. Um, one who did listen to the recital of the chazan with the intention of fulfilling his obligation has to repeat the tefillah again if he knows how to do it, assuming that he knows either he has a sitter that he can read it from or he knows the words, he's, he has his own obligation. However, somebody who is unable to recite these own tefillah, whether it's because he's uneducated or he doesn't know how to read or he never learned, right? So the halacha is he could be yotze if he listens to the chazan's recital of the davening in the presence of a minion. It has to be in the presence of a minion. Together with the presence of a minion, that, those two things together allow a person 
because the Gemara says in many places that the tefillah of the tzibur, the davening of the tzibur, is precious, much more precious to the Rebbein Shalom. It has a certain quality to it that davening as an individual cannot have. It's not possible for us to get to that same level on our own. So the fact that I have somebody else, so that, I, that, that I'm together with other people, gives my tefillah a special boost, if you will. That boost is enough to make it that if I don't know how to daven on my own, I can be yotze with somebody else's tefillahs. Um, listening to tefillah privately when there is nobody else, so having just some, having somebody else just say the words, and I just listen to him again. Ideally, what a person should do in that situation is you listen to the words and then you say it, you repeat after them word for word. If you're not repeating a word for word, you're simply being passive. You're simply listening without actually saying it yourself. So one who listens to an individual reciting tefillah not in the presence of a minion is not yotzi, has not fulfilled his obligation. And even if he is unable to recite a tefillah of his own, he has not fulfilled the obligation to pray for that day and he's going to have to find another solution. Now, that's what that, that that's the halachos as far the, as far as Shmon Esri goes, as far as that central part of tefillah, that high point of the tefillah, in many sidurim, they have, they have uh, the different parts of tefillah are, are designated as uh, being connected, as, as representing a person's entry, so to speak, into the Makomas Hamikdash, the places in the Beis Hamikdash where you belong. So the davening, the, 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 the saying the brachos is like entering the outer courtyard. And then when you say Baruch Sha'amar and, and the, and the Pesuket de Zimra, so then you're entering the inner courtyard. And then when you say the Shema, you're entering into the Heichal, you're entering into the holy, holier place. When you enter into Shema Esen, you're on the highest level, you're, on the whole, you're in the Holy of Holies. To enter into the Holy of Holies, to have that, that personal relationship, that personal conversation with Hashem, the only way I can do that is, is either on my own or together with a, or, to, or having one person recite to, to, in front of me together with a minion. Now, when it comes to the other sections of tefillah, you know, getting into the heichal or into the courtyard or any of those other parts, how does that work? So the brachos around the Shema, the chazan, even if he has previously fulfilled his obligation, can, could be motzi, any member of the congregation, even somebody who could say the brachos on their own in the recital of Birkas Kriya Shema, as long as there is a minion present. So again, this is different than Shimon Eser. Shimon Eser, we said, that's my personal conversation with Hashem. If I don't have that conversation, I'm in, I'm in bad shape. Unless I have a minion, then I, I get a, a sort of a pass. With Birkos Kriyashma, since it's just a bracha, it's a bracha, and it's a bracha on a mitzvah of saying Kriyashma. So that bracha, when there's a minion present, even if I could have said it myself, it's okay for me to be passive and to... And to listen to the brachos of Kriyashma and Biyotzi with somebody else is saying them. Just by the way, if you have never done it, I highly recommend that you read through those, those brachos of the, before the Shema and play, pay close attention to what they're saying. They're very, very beautiful and poetic tefillos, very, 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 very um, a powerful um, uh, access point for a person, if, you're, if you focus on the words, to be able to actually get into the tefillah. And it's interesting because, you know, that, that, that idea that I was describing to you before of going into the Mikdash. So when you come to Birkos Kriyashma, you're going into, you're getting into, into the, the place where the Mizbeach was, where the temple was, where the, where the, where the altar was in the, in the temple, right? And then when you say the Shema, you're entering into the Heichal, you're entering into the, into the, holy, into the holier part of the, of the base of Mikdash. Uh, parallel to that, of course, is once you finish the Shema, so you got to the high point, the Kaddish Kaddashim, you don't just turn around and walk away. You can't just, you know, it's not just, oh, okay, thanks, God. I'm, I'll see you again tomorrow. 
um, you know, I'm peace, I'm out. You know, it doesn't work that way. You have to work your way slowly back out again. So the so the opposite, sort of the parallel on the other side of the mountain, if you will, of coming back down again is the is what's called the Tachnon prayer. Now I'm going to have to look into this a little bit. I did hear somewhere somebody said to me that uh, that ladies don't say Tachnon. I'm not sure where that comes from. I don't. I never actually saw a Makar for that, a, a source for that inside anywhere that says that. But uh, but um, I remember um, I remember Techi Allah was telling me that um, that girls don't say Tachnon. Uh, I, I don't know why that is, but but for some reason um, girls don't say. But the Tachnon on the other side is the parallel to the Birkos Kriyashma. And again, it's another, it's a very, though, both those tefillos, of all the tefillos in, in that we say, you know, it's the Shemar is the high point. It's a direct conversation with Hashem. We're asking him for all of our basic needs, etc. And, and, and really on a on a grander scale of things that are, that we understand that Hashem controls and control every aspect of our life. But the, for from for for an emotional impact, for a, sort of the emotional component of tefillah, I would tell you that the Birkos Kriyashma and the Tachnon after the Shemar Esrei are the most emotional parts of tefillah. They, they tap into a sort of a much more poetic element uh, of the tefillah than the Shemar Esrei actually does. The Shemar Esrei is kind of, it's kind of technical. The, 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 the uh, whatever, you know, just uh, obviously not, not meant as a critique, but I'm just saying if you, if you wanted to focus on dominating on a part of dominating that's really moving, moving in a way that just the words themselves have a, a greater power to them. I'll tell you, Birkos Kriyashma and the Tachnon, those are the places where you really want to focus. Again, obviously, it can't, we can't take away from the fact that Shemar is the high point of our davening, but, for, from, but for just from the word, the way, the, the way it's composed, it's, it's very different. Okay, so the recital of the Kriyashma itself, it seems to be a machlokas, whether or not someone could be moti another in the recital of Kriyashma. Now, Kriyashma itself is not a bracha per se, it's a tefillah, and some maintain one cannot be moiti another, while others permit one to be moiti another in the presence of a minion. That seems to be a, a debate. Birkos Hashachar. This is now. I'm just going a little bit more quickly through this. Uh, through this, there is one uh, common mistake that we have to address here when it comes to Birkos Hashachar. Birkos Hashachar are the morning blessings that we say that that give praise, give thanks to Hashem for every little element of, of what what we go through on a daily basis as we wake up, so to speak, and give have appreciation for every every little thing that Hashem does for us. The chazan could be motzi, anyone in the recital of Birkos HaShachar, in the presence of a minion. In the opinion of some authorities, one may be motzi, and others unable to recite brachos, even if there's no minion present. But uh, ideally, a person should make these brachos on his own. If the listener is able to recite brachos on his own, he cannot be yotzi with the recital of another unless a minion is present. Um, now listen to this, this they have to listen to carefully. Common custom is that one who is awake all of Shavuos night, or any other night of the week, if you're awake any night, all night, so you don't, there's certain brachos that you don't say on your own. The bracha of Elokai Neshama Shem that's a bracha stating that Hashem, when we sleep, you take away a part of our neshama, or a part of our neshama, you take away part of our soul, and then you return that to, or you return that to us in the morning, and we make a bracha of the last blessing that we say is a blessing. I'm going to move everything yes. over here. So Expressing I, uh, thanks to I, Hashem. If I do that, then for, I can get... Um, um, uh, um, Expressing thanks to Hashem for uh, uh, for for returning us again for for allowing us to wake up and to to be alert throughout the day. 
right? Those two brachos, you, if you didn't sleep, you can't make that bracha. How could you say, you remove the sleep from my eyes. I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping. You gave me back my soul. You never took it away because I never went to sleep. Sleep, as the Gemara tells us, is an ain is one sixtieth of death. It's one sixtieth of that complete departure of the neshama from from the guf. So, <clears throat> so one says those brachas on on the on on their own. Now, the time when most people or when many people end up staying up, stay, staying up is of course <clears throat> is the night of shuas, where people stay up all night to learn. But the mistake that is made is that many people are yotze feel that they are being yotze all of the brachos. When somebody says them from all the Birkos HaShachar are said out loud, any shul that you walk into on Shuas morning, you'll hear that they're saying all of the Birkos HaShachar out loud, and everybody's just answering very carefully with a lot of kavana, answering amin. That may not be the correct, most ideal way to do things, because even though you're doing it in the presence of a minion, since you're able and capable of saying them yourselves, because most of those brachos, you could say, even if you didn't sleep, they're just enumerating all the things that every day we give thanks to Hashem because he gave them to us. So one, you know, the, the only reason to say, not to say it on your own is that there was no break from yesterday's thanks. So I didn't break off. So why do I need a new bracha now? Otherwise, every hour I could make these brachos. I could say thank you to Hashem for straightening out my spine and for allowing me to have shoes to walk in and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the, and the crown of that of Hashem's glory that he puts upon us and all, all the other things that, 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 we, that we talk about um, that you commanded us in the mitzvahs and all the rest of that. We can make those brachos every hour. Why don't we? Because we already said them in the morning and that carries over for the whole day. Then if I don't sleep overnight, so theoretically it should carry through to the next day. Why do we make new brachos the next day? Well, it's a new day, so a new day. It's enough reason. But, uh, but, but if a person is making those brachos, ideally he should make those brachos himself and not be yotze, not fulfill the obligation by listening to somebody else. That would be, except for the two brachos of Elokai Neshama and Amar which you cannot make on your own. So that's the equivalent. In other words, even though we said before that if you know how to make the brachos, you have to make the brachos yourself. But if you're not able to make the brachos for a technical reason, forget not because I don't know I don't know how to, or I don't have a sitter to make them out of, but for a technical reason that I didn't sleep, that's the equivalent. That's a, There's a parallel here. You know, there's, there's I, I can't make... I can't make this bracha. Why can't I make the bracha? Well, I can't read. Well, because I didn't sleep. It, 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 there's a parallel that goes on, that, that, that exists, that it's as though you can't make that bracha, so therefore you have to have somebody else make the bracha for you. Okay. That was just a sort of a, sh- a short diversion into other types of brachos, birkas atfilo, and being yotu with that. Let's talk a little bit about the dinim, the halachos that surround bracha rishona. Now we get to, uh, now, now we... Now we talk about what we call tachlas, right? Now we get to the real stuff. This is the stuff of, of everyday brachos that you that you've been that you really came to the shir to hear. These are the things that are not just the technical background, but this is the practical application of what it is that we should be doing. So it says like this: um, We're on page for those of you that are that are following along in the book. If you didn't, if I if I lost you, um, just running through the last section of what we said before. We're now in chapter four. And the, in the introduction on page 132, page 132. So the most common of all brachas are those that are recited before eating. That's the bracha that we make the most often are the brachas that we make before we eat food. Of course, we said before this, give me a moment, please. I'm sorry, I need to just close the door because the boys are making noise. Was it boys? It was actually girls. What do you know? Okay. 
Um, okay, let's, uh, so, so again, so the most common of all the brachas are those that we say before eating. We have talked about that makes our eating into something kadosh. We elevate our eating into becoming an exercise in, 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 in connecting to Hashem. That's why, that's why we call this shir, right, the, 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 the concept of the halachas of brachos. It's all about how do I make every action that I do a way that I, and through which it becomes a means, it becomes a tool for me to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the most common of those is the bracha rishona, the brachos that we make before we eat. Um, the prior bracha, as opposed to, it's called a bracha rishona because it's in contrast to the bracha acharona, the last bracha, which is the bracha we make after we eat. Now, the reality is that, the reality is that all these brachos, brachos rishonos, are, are rabbinic in origin, meaning there's no Torah obligation. The Torah doesn't say anywhere that we have to make these brachos. The rabbis instituted that we should make them based on a very elementary principle of Talmudic reasoning and logic. Chazal maintained that since the entire world is the possession of the Almighty, its creator, anyone partaking of it for personal use must certainly offer praise beforehand. It's like saying please before you take something from somebody. They're allowing you to do that. Furthermore, the Gemara um, use of these divine possessions prior to such praise would constantly, I'm um, sorry, uh, right, so um, uh, use of these divine possessions prior to such praise would constitute an act of theft. And careful comparison of two Sukkim and Tehillim gave Chazal additional evidence for the necessity of Brachos Rishonos. The Gemara says, the Pasuk in Tehillim says in one place that Hashemayim Shemayim Hashem, excuse me, Hashem Hashem owns, Hashem is the master of everything in the world, everything that there is, and everything that fills the world. It's all Hakarish Barakos. Then in 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 Hallow on uh, on uh, on Hallow on on Yamtav and on uh, and on Rosh Chodesh, we say right Hashemayim Shemayim Hashem Ba'aretz Nasan Livnei Adam. It says in the, right that so this passage, King David seems to say. Something completely different. On one hand, he says, Hashem owns everything. On the other hand, David Amel says, he says, uh, <clears throat> the heavens belong to Hashem, and the earth was given over to men. So which one is it? Is earth given over to us, or does it all belong to Hashem? So the Gemara resolves this contradiction by saying the following. Both are true. Of course, they're both true. How? Before you ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Rishos, before you ask him for permission, before you declare your fealty to him and your loyalty to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you have to know everything belongs to Hashem. We, where, where, how do we come to own anything? Where would we have it from? But if we do things correctly and we approach it with a, with a proper request and we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give us to us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm more than happy to give it to you. HaShemayim Hashem, I'll keep the Shemayim the earth belongs to you. The earth is completely in your control. Um, so once the bracha is recited, man is granted permission to use the world as he sees fit. And, then, and, and it all belongs to us. So consequently, all that is in the world is in effect, is hectish. And on a certain level, it's just like hectish is uh, it, it, are are animals or 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 agricultural material that has been dedicated to Hashem in the base amigdash to be brought as korbanos to be brought as sacrifices to Hashem? It's kaviyachal. It's on a, on a certain level. We talk about it like as kilu. We're feeding Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We're putting it on the shulchan gavaya. We're putting it on Hashem's table. The mizbeach, the altar, is Hashem's table. We're putting this food on Hashem's table as kilu. We're giving it over to Hashem. That's called hektish. Hektish means is, hektish, the word hektish comes from the word being separated, designated as separate on a but on a higher plane. So everything in the world is in effect hektish, and all is divine property. 
and which cannot be used without proper redemption. That's the halacha of hekdash is, the halacha of stuff that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash is you, you, we, all of us, regular people, are not, allow, not allowed to have any, any regular benefit from it unless you redeem it from its status as hekdash. So the same thing applies to everything that exists in the world. Unless we redeem things from their status of being belonging, so, so to speak, to Hashem, we're not allowed to get any benefit from them. Taking them without permission constitutes the, the sin of me'ila, which means, which me'ila comes from the word from to be mo'el, which means to be betray, so to speak. Betraying Hashem, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're taking something that's not ours. We're abusing something that we have no right to. Um, so the the so, so, so to eat something without making a bracha, right, um, is is um, uh, is sacrilege is a, is a sacrilege. So so to one who eats without prior bracha has to a degree performed a sacrilegious act. Um, and Chazal reasoned further: if a person who has eaten his fill of bread and has satisfied his hunger, right, it says the pasuk says the verse states in um, in Parshas. Before um, um, uh, uh, Re'eh and after Vaishanan is Parshas. Somebody help me because I'm having a, a, a senior moment. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to have those yet, but uh, um, uh, uh, Parshas Akev, right? The Pasuk says in Parshas Akev states. Right, states, you, shall, you will eat, you'll be satisfied, and you'll thank Hashem. So, uh, if a person has eaten his fill of bread and has satisfied his hunger, is required by Torah law to recite Berkas Amazon. So, then the Gemara says, if, if after you're done, you have to thank Hashem for what He gave you, that you for that which you already satisfied yourself with, certainly a hungry person must thank or must request from Hashem before eating. If you have to say thank you after it's done, you certainly have to say please before you start. That uh, that just goes that just uh, goes hand in hand. That's come just a, the, the the logical way to look at it. Look at it. So, the following issues will be discussed in this chapter. We'll have to go through is number one. We have to understand when is one required to recite a bracha rishona. Are there things that will do required and that don't require? What will be the parameters under which one would say I need to be asking? permission to be consuming this. I need to be asking permission to be using Hashem's world. And the, what is the prohibition of eating without a bracha? What, 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 what am I actually, what is the actual violation when I do not make a, when I do not make a bracha? I just, um, as an aside, I'm not going to go through it now, but if you want to uh, uh, take a look at a, a fascinating piece of um, mental gymnastics, and I don't mean mental gymnastics, I put that in quotation marks, I don't mean that lightly, but I'm so, you know, it's, it's a nice little brain teaser. Take a look at the footnote number five, you'll get a, you'll get a, you'll have a lot of enjoyment out of that. But I, we don't have, I'm not going to stop on there right now. Let's, let's jump right into um, this idea of when is it that one is required to make, recite a bracha rishona. So, we have stated here, at least, in our overview, we said that, again, making a bracha rishona is a way of make, creating a relationship between myself and Hashem, opening up, so to speak, the, the, uh, the, the, the faucet, opening up that spigot so that there can be a flow of spiritual energy that connects me to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that my eating of the apple is, the, the purpose of my eating of the apple is not simply 
fulfilling an animal animalistic desire to consume food and to and to uh, um, uh, deal with my hunger, but rather it's an opportunity in which I utilize, in which to connect to what it is that Hashem created as part of His creation, and I can become a part of that creation and, and create a relationship with Hashem. However, a bracha rishon, on its simple in the simplest form, is recited is recited as a prelude to eating. The point, what, what the point of that prelude is, again, it can be more complicated, but, but the, the bottom line is it's a prelude to eating. So determining the parameters of the requirement of a bracha rishona require one to determine beforehand the proper definition of what's called eating. And we're getting, I know we're getting into a very nitty gritty, like sounds almost like a hair splitting kind of conversation. We, in, in halacha, we always want to define exactly what we're doing here. So You've, we've made the statement that in order to eat from this world, in order to eat, in order to consume from this world, or, or that's in order to eat something from this world, to have benefit from something from this world, I must make a before doing so, I must have a bracha. Does that mean simply consuming something so that it was here before and it's not here afterwards? That already constitutes that? Does it require that it be something that adds something to me that I somehow become better? Or, uh, or I have attained some level of pleasure or some sort of enjoyment, how exactly are we going to define that? So, as with all definitions in halacha, eating can only be understood in the terms of the Torah's definition of what's called achila. Achila means, achila means to, to be oichal, means to consume. It doesn't actually necessarily mean the physical action of chomping down with your jaws. It means to consume what's in front of me. So eating or drinking. So therefore, our question primarily is what's called achila? And in addition, since a bracha is essentially a praise of Hashem, and there may be circumstances where a bracha does not actually constitute a praise of Hashem, somehow by applying this saying in a particular context, it reflects, quote unquote, negatively on Hashem. I'll just to throw in a little spoiler, if I steal something and then I make a bracha in order to eat it, am I really praising Hashem when I steal something and then I eat it? Or am I making Hashem almost partner to me in the action of stealing it? And I've actually, that reflects negatively on a Kaddish bracha. It doesn't reflect positively and perhaps that a bracha is not appropriate under those circumstances. We'll get to that in a moment. So in addition, since a bracha is essentially a praise of Hashem, there may be circumstances where a bracha is not a praise of Hashem and is therefore inappropriate. And I should not make a bracha under those circumstances. If I'm eating something that I'm not supposed to be eating, I'm consuming something in a way that Hashem doesn't want me to consume it. So is, is a bracha appropriate under those circumstances? So the, our questions are the following. What's called achila? When is a bracha inappropriate? And when is a bracha inappropriate? So... Section A over here is let's let's go into what is called achila. What, so achila is defined by Chazal is the consumption of food, the consumption of food in order to give benefit or pleasure to the body. Two different things, either benefit or pleasure, right? So if I am eating a healthy meal, but I don't necessarily enjoy that healthy food, right? Or alternatively, or if I'm eating a very enjoyable food, but it's not really so good for me to be eating that, but I'm getting tremendous pleasure from doing it. His example will be a diabetic eating candy, right? Very bad idea. 
but he's having a great time while he's doing it. I mean, he may, in an hour later, it may not be so good, but right now he's really enjoying what he's doing. So, so uh, that those constitute achila. So, furthermore, even eating foods which provide benefit may at times not be considered achila. You could sometimes consume things in a way in which is not that is not actually called achila. So, for instance, swallowing a tablet. Right. If I take a if I take a a, um, a, a capsule and I put it on my tongue and I take a little bit of water and I and I wash it down, did I consume it? I absolutely consumed it. Did I do so in a way that was beneficial to me? Well, it's hard to say it's not beneficial. I wouldn't take the medication if it wasn't beneficial, right? However, that is that all is that considered the normal way in which one consumes foods or not? That may be a different question. So we'll therefore consider three factors. Number one, whether the eating provides satisfaction. It must be that the eating that you're doing has to provide satisfaction. Number two, whether the food is eaten in an unnatural manner. Is it eaten in the normal way or in an abnormal way? And number three, whether the food was eaten for normal eating purposes. What was the, what was the purpose of consuming this food? So with that in mind, number one, did the food provide me with satisfaction? In halacha, the satisfaction of eating is defined as either the pleasurable sensation one experiences through the actual taste of the food, or alternatively, the nutritional benefit derived through digesting the food. In halachic terminology, the former is called, the, 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 the satisfaction of eating is called hana'as garon, the pleasure that I get in my throat when I, when I swallow something, the pleasure of the throat, the taste that I have, the latter, which is which is which is about my nutritional the, the nutritional gain, right, is called hanas me'ayim or intestinal benefit. So eating foods which provide either of those benefits, whether it's something that I enjoy in my throat, I enjoy the eating, I have pleasure in the way it's eaten, or I have an intestinal benefit from it, that suffices to mandate a bracha. If, however, the food provides neither taste nor nutritional benefit, no bracha is required. No bracha will be required. So an example of that would perhaps be, this is something that we talk about on Shabbos afternoon with uh, some of your husbands, we talk about the, the mitzvah of gid hanasheh. Gid hanasheh is the sciatic nerve of an animal that we're, we know from the Torah that you're not allowed to consume it. The Gemara tells us, the Talmud tells us, that nerves, sinews, muscles, nerves, are called ein begidin benosintan. Tendons and nerves have no taste to them. They're like wood. So if you ate that piece, if you chewed on a piece of wood, so a tasteless piece of wood, I'm not talking about, it might be different. It is different if you take, let's say, for instance, I don't know if anybody here has ever seen this, but um, when I was growing up, one of the treats that we used to have was something called sugarcane. Sugarcane, they don't use sugar. By the way, it's not where you get your sugar from anymore. Once, once upon a time, they used to get sugar from sugarcane. The problem is the processing, the processing of sugarcane is very complex and expensive to do, so they don't get sugar from sugarcane anymore. Mostly, I believe, most of the sugar that we get today is from beets, not from and not from sugar, not from not from sugarcane at all. Sugarcane is it takes huge fields of it, and what it is is it's a piece of um, it looks almost like bamboo. But, you know, our bamboo is hollow inside. Instead of being hollow inside, it's actually solid inside. It's like little pieces of wood. You chew on it, and it's very sweet. It has little granules of sugar inside it, and you can actually chew on it. That type of eating, that type of eating of that kind of wood 
that you wouldn't make a bracha on because you're getting pleasure from it. But if I walk outside and break off a piece of one of these uh, one of these maple trees, right, that, that are growing outside all over Providence, and I start chewing on that, well, that's pretty gross. I mean, that's just it's just not. That's just not. There's nothing. There's not. There's no taste to it. There's no anything. They're, they're they're dry. Even though that yeah, you can tap the the you can tap the you can tap the the trunk of the tree to get honey out of it. You can't do that out of the branches. You eat those branches. That's nothing. That has no, that's something that has no taste. It has no benefit, and we do not make no bracha. So, under this category of whether the food provides satisfaction, is number one of beneficial foods. One who eats either a tasty food which provides no nutritional benefit right, uh, about lollipop, or a tasteless food which provides nutrition, um, I don't know, plain oatmeal, must recite a bracha, right? You need to recite a bracha, even though there's very little taste to it. Now, the one, the one thing that has, a, that is sort of a, um, sort of a hybrid um, with regard to this is water, because water is unique among all foodstuffs. Water provides the body with neither pleasurable taste nor normal nutrition. It has no nutrient, actual nutrients in it. It is an essential component of our bodies, but it has, it doesn't actually have any nutrients. Uh, nevertheless, even water requires a bracha since quenching one's thirst is also a form of pleasure. You are getting a pleasure when you quench your thirst. That means though, that I'm only going to make a bracha on water when it's there, when I'm drinking it as a thirst quencher. If however one drinks water for any other purpose, then quenching one's thirst, rinsing your mouth out, swallowing a pill, or any of those other types of things, no bracha is going to be required. So for example, somebody who drinks water to clear his throat, swallow a pill, aid in the swallowing of food, recites no bracha on the water. One who is in doubt whether or not he recited a bari nefashos, let's say I, I got up from the table, I don't remember, did I bench tonight? I didn't bench. So I want to drink something quickly and then make a bari nefashos, and I'll have in mind that if I didn't make a brain of ushers before, this should be my brain of ushers now. I can't drink water for that purpose because water drunk for that purpose would not require a bracha rishona and therefore would not require a bracha either. Um, one cannot drink water in order to facilitate their style of brain of ushers. And similarly, one who is needed for the required quorum of three for a zimun cannot join them by drinking water because if you need three people there in order to make a zimun for benching, you need all of them to have participated in the meal together. Drinking water is not considered participating. So in, in both cases, since one is not thirsty, one cannot recite a bracha on the water and consequently can neither recite a brain of nor join a zimun. And number three, one who drinks water in order to assist his digestion must re- recite a bracha since that is the equivalent of drinking, drinking for thirst. You're, whether it's helping you in your mouth or it's helping you in your stomach, that doesn't make a difference. However, one who drinks water to facilitate urination or the movement of the bowels, which is basically just to let the water pass through my system, not actually do anything for me inside. There's no hanoas me'ayim, there's no, there's no intestinal pleasure, no intestinal benefit. It's simply there as a facilitator to keep everything flowing through, right, that we would not make a bracha. So these rules apply to water only. Other liquids usually provide either taste or nutrition, whether I'm drinking a glass of apple juice that tastes very sweet, questionable exactly how much nutrition you're actually getting out of that apple juice, right? So contrary to popular opinion, or I'm drinking a glass of milk, which maybe if I don't like milk, but that is, uh, does have a lot of nutrition to it. So that would require a bracha, even if you were just using it to swallow a pill. And similarly, one who's thirsty and drinks water to quench his thirst, of course, um, 
even if he has another intent at the same time, he plans to try to swallow the pill at the same time, he's still going to make a bracha. So, um, however, there are, there, okay, this, but this idea of satisfaction or benefit does have further limitations, but Be'ezus Hashem, we will continue with talking about that um, next time. So basically, just to, in summation, we're talking now about making a bracha, you make a bracha on anything that you consume, you do so because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us this world, but only after we have asked him for permission to utilize this world. And utilizing this world is through what we call derecha by eating, by consumption. That consumption has to have one of two purposes, either a nutritional value or, a, or it has to have a benefit to us, either a benefit in terms of taste or a benefit in terms of the nutrition that it's providing, those are the elements that we are that are necessary to us in order to be able to be yotze with the in order to be able to make a bracha and make the act of consuming this food a way in which I'm actually not just consuming Hashem's food, not just getting permission to consume His food, but utilizing that consumption as a way to actually connect to Him, connect myself to Him. That's the ultimate goal. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful thank week. Thank you, Rabbi Shochet. Uh, next week, I will be away. So I, I, there's no share next week, um, in case I forget to send that out. Maybe somebody maybe somebody on this on the class tonight will remember just to remind everybody that there is no class. Uh, there is no class next week, but we will continue in two weeks' time. Thank you. All right, have a wonderful evening.